being part of a sangha, which is the community that also comes into play, um, has helped me just get over, over feeling guilty, feeling less than, all these feelings of shame and blame and um, all these feelings of being isolated and alone, even the times of isolation right now, um, that I'm not alone, that what I have to add is very valid and what I have to hear helps me hear their stories, you know, hearing, um, doing a goddess pause, having a pause to be able to hear things, hearing your own thoughts first before saying, you know, and that just floors me every time because I'm a talker, obviously. <laughs> um, but sometimes I need to like, it's nice to just reflect and step back and then think about what I say prior to what saying, you know, saying it. Welcome to the Heart of the Soul podcast. My name is Amana, and I'm your host. I am a wild earth mama living in the Pacific Northwest with my soul flame and our two earthside wildlings. On this podcast, I share personal heartfelt stories and insights coming from my unique lens, as well as conversations with other amazing women in my web of life who have incredible wisdom and stories to share. I have lived most of my life afraid of speaking my truth. Creating this podcast is my path to healing this wound as I breathe life back into the ancient ritual of storytelling. I believe that there is more that unites us than divides us. Birth and death are always a part of our human experience. My hope is for these soulful, heartfelt stories to remind you what it means to be wild, human, and alive, so that you may cherish your unique journey of human, and that you may find the courage to share your voice and express the words you feel deep in your heart and soul. Please join me in the creation of the Heart of the Soul community as together we build sisterhood and breathe life back into storytelling, giving each other the sacred space to be heard. Welcome to the Heart of the Soul podcast. Today I'm here with Aiko. I met her like five and a half years ago when I first moved to Spokane. I was welcomed to a full moon goddess gathering on Facebook and Aiko had posted it was her birthday on November 11th. I don't remember what year it was and she was going out to lunch and invited people to join and me I was really wanting to build community and so I came and joined your birthday lunch with all these strangers and you were just so welcoming and kind and lovely and beautiful and when the first um, gathering came around you even came and picked me up from my house and drove me to gathering really like swoop me under your wing and help me feel a part of the community which I am like so grateful for and now we live just a few blocks from each other and we've you know been a part of each other's lives going on hikes doing gatherings you've done some photography for me it's just been really beautiful to um, be in community with you and I love how real and raw you are because not everyone is and that's something that I really treasured in our relationship so thank you for being here today and for being vulnerable and for sharing your life stories with the world I wonder if you might start with um, speaking a little bit about who you are and how that has felt to be in Spokane 
Thank you for having me, Imana, first off and foremost. Um, I'm just, it's such an honor to be a part of your friendship circles and motherhood circles and just goddess circles and just life circles. I feel we've really come a long way in our journey together. Um, and yes, my name is Aiko. My first name is Leilani, and that's Hawaiian. So um, I'm actually Hawaiian, Chinese, and Japanese, and some people call me like Mid-Islander Mutt, <laughs> and I'll take it. Um, so um, let's see, my um, going back to the Japanese part, uh, so that's the Aiko name, and that means um, lovely child. And so my parents were kind of hippies, I guess you can say, and uh, my dad named me Leilani, and that's his Hawaiian side, and that's child of love. <laughs> and um, so I've just been this like love entity of a child, like childlike energy behind a lot of what I do um, in life and just trying to find the playfulness and beauty, you know, that lies in even the heavy and darkness of life, right? Um, and um, so Going to kind of particularly the Chinese side now too, um, it 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 envelops everything I do as far as eating and <laughs> everyday life challenges of finding foods because I'm gluten dairy free and that's pretty common for Japanese descent and that's pretty common for Asianic descent. But then I'm also seafood free <laughs> as well. But I feel like the only Asian, you know in the role that seafood intolerant to seafood. And um, um, where that came from was my father, uh, his Chinese Mongolian mountainous man side of him. And um, of course, there's not a lot of fish and fresh seafood up on the mountains. And um, there's more that hooved animals and berries. And I just flourish off of that in my diet. So um, it's interesting just going out Today, even going to a Thai restaurant, you know, having to really be careful on um, pad Thai sauces. Like, you know, can you hold the, can you please not put any, uh, you know, fish sauce or oyster sauce in your traditional foods that you usually do. So it's been kind of, it's hard to go out and eat out. And so um, it's just really lovely to be able to eat, like cook, cook your own foods and stuff, but be able to trust. There's a lot of trust, actually. You're, you're trusting your kind of, your life here on other people's hands. Um, so that's kind of my little bring up and, um, and really to the Japanese side. My grandma was born in Seattle, Washington. Her parents were from Okinawa, however. So they came over, they had her here and two other siblings. And um, she was raised speaking Japanese, of course, through her house. And then um, the internment camp happened. Her mom died actually prior when she was about 16. And then the internment happened when she was 18. And so she is, of course, like put down into Minandoka, many steps, but Minandoka and then held there as a prisoner, basically of war. Um, and she would only speak about the positive sides of her, what happened there. She never, ever spoke ill words of what happened and fear, you know, that fear of like having to go back again. And so she just spoke about how interesting and fun it was to be a um, in charge of all the kids and um, kickball and she was like the PE teacher kind of person so she tried to really meet the negative with a positive and um, she's just a beautiful woman and um, she did a little grown up like I did a little grown up with her and she raised me a bit 
in my troubled youth time. <laughs> and so I really, really after the hermit camp, she decided to get rid of her language and never speak it again. And, and she wanted to assimilate. She changed her name. She, um, she was able to try to just really Americanize and assimilate quickly because that's what she only knew to be true. I mean, she was in to be fear safe for her, right? Yeah. Right. Absolute fear wow. um, and did not ever want to go back and didn't want anyone else to go back to or her family or, or anything. So um, her, my mother and her five other siblings only spoke English. You know, it was just really trying to um, assimilate quickly. Um and the only thing she did keep was her religion. So she's uh, Shen Buddhist, and so am I. I was brought into it by her. And so that's the only kind of like, that's a close lineage. It's a Japanese version of Buddhism. There's many sects of Buddhism, of course. But this one's the um, layman's kind of Buddhism, the working class Buddhism, that they call it. And um, particularly, that's what stuck with me and sticks with me throughout my, my journey of life. And having that foundation in Buddhism really kind of just brings me back in the cultural sense of um, Japanese, my Japanese heritage is very strong on our side, um, to the point where we even do a bonodori dancing with my children, and that's traditional um, dress and kimono, traditional um, honoring the dead, actually once a year, mm -hmm. they have a huge ceremony every year in Japan and honors the dead, and we do too in Spokane, um, we didn't last year because of COVID, but usually every year we dance to uh, honor our ancestry. So it's just been a lovely journey to be here in, um, in Spokane and be able to kind of share some of this cultural exchange and trying not to be too fearful of like what's out in Idaho because there's a lot of still very backwood supremacist, white supremacist people out there. So to the point where this last year, I would only make sure I, I um, traveled with people when I go to Idaho or like know that I'm going from point A to point B and being safe with people I surround myself with because as a, as a woman of ethnicity and color, you still have to really worry about that here in Spokane and Idaho, North Idaho um, particularly. So that sucks, but you just work around it, use your smarts, like street smarts. You just have to kind of feel the intuition of like a person too, and really go by that gut feeling. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. What brought you here to Spokane? And I mean, I was born and raised here in Spokane, okay. but I, I did do a little, a little growing up and let's see, cause my parents are divorced and so my dad lived in um, Great Falls, Montana, a little bit, and then San Diego. And so I um, would go between Great Falls and my mother here and then San Diego and just had this big circular like kind of effect and stuff. And he drove trains for Amtrak. And so I really was blessed and honored to be able to be in first class and and ride in the front of the engine with my father and and ride and just watching all the sunsets and sunrises right on the ocean because it was a coast starlight from like um, Portland all the way straight down the coast to LA and that was my favorite line and that's what just really 
connects me to earth and and keeps that like sacred time of sunset in my in my childhood memories it's just so special to me even now even today we're trying to like get the sunset as we're I'm like honey get it you're driving get that picture that's really you know I'm driving he's trying to take the picture so it's just um lovely to have that in kind of my memory my memory tool bank you know yes absolutely Um, so when you were speaking about your dancing with Buddhism, and I was also wondering what other, are there other daily or yearly rituals that you feel are really impactful to you? I love that there's a, you know, a death ritual, I guess is my best words to describe what you spoke about with the dancing and remembering the ancestors. I find Mm -hmm. that to be so beautiful. I feel like we need more of that in life. Are there other parts of that part of your being that feel important to share? Yeah, I mean, I feel like um, through the Buddhist tradition, we also do like uh, um, honoring the Buddha's birthday. And that was, um, that's around May, uh, sorry, April time. And that is kind of like Christmas, but we don't exchange gifts. And so what we do do is uh, the belief was that Siddhartha was born from Maya, which was Immaculate Conception, of course. And um under a um, oh a Bodhi tree. So she was standing under a tree. She gave birth to this beautiful baby. He suddenly takes eight steps. And under each footstep, each little footstep would be this beautiful lotus that blossomed, right? Mm-hmm. So blossoming lotuses everywhere he stepped, eight steps. And then he came to the end of it and he pointed one hand finger up and one finger down connecting the heavens and the earth together mm-hmm. and um, really that was his job and that was kind of his life goal however Maya was married to a king and then the father of the king didn't want him to be a Buddha he only wanted to be the be- like the next best king take his place you know this like patriarchal positioning and um, and would shelter him his whole growing up um, whole growing up sheltered until he finally saw the death of a, of a bird. I think it was, he accidentally shot a bird. They're doing archery practice and he shot a bird and he didn't know what death was. Mm. Um, and then that's what had his, he had this quest after that to just in better humanity and in better and leave the kingdom and, and help all the people around. And, um, so, going back his birthday, um, we believe also that sweet tea was rained down from the heavens. And so what we do is we have this beautiful kind of um, altar and we decorate it with flowers on top because, you know, symbolizing the lotus and all the flowers that blossomed under his feet. And then at the base of it, in the middle, of course, is a Buddha, a little statue of Buddha. And then we uh, sweet tea at the base of it. So we pour the tea over to kind of give our reverence and burn incense for him as an offering and donation, like off, like an offering, a blessing. And, um, and, and just, you know, taking that compassionate time and, and thankfulness is that he's not a God by any means. He merely um, just kind of offered a philosophy. And so it's not like a worship of a God, but it is kind of like a um, being humbled and grateful that there is, there is always hope. There's always this, like, there's always something to look forward to kind of that celebratory thing. And so that's to me a little bit about 
that's one of the ceremonies we always do. And it was interesting with COVID, we couldn't, of course, do that this last year. So as a family, we made our own altar and did a ceremony at home on that day. And just like, you know, tried to keep the spirit alive and tried to keep the um, tradition going, even if we're not in the temple, because that doesn't make it, you know, a space, sacred space is anywhere you are. And, and really it's within. Um, so that was really fun to create something different and yet have a traditional kind of reasoning behind that and that's been something that we keep close to our heart um and then there's other things there's just a lot of other things that i have actually incorporated and maybe we touch on it later with um like equinox and of course solstice happening and that's more that pagan tradition of course mm-hmm. uh, lineage but um for my immediate family this is kind of what we practice it's like new year's we we gong the gong 108 times and that symbolizes just wow. this, like this joy of of um it's actually 100 if they break it down and like how many the, i can't remember the numbers but it's like some kind of mathematical thing yes <laughs> that um like you have all these things that you have to get rid of throughout the years. Um, like, you know, I don't say horrible things to my neighbor. I speak good to da, 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 da. These, these like things that we should do as humans anyways. And, um, and that's what this 108 means. And that 108 is a real special, significant number in the Asianic culture in general. But um, so that's another thing on New Year's Eve we just celebrate gonging, ringing the gong 108 times. And that's usually, again, in the temple, we had to modify at home and do home gonging. (laughs) So on Zoom, and it was really interesting. So it's just, you know, ways we have to adapt as humans now. Oh, well, how beautiful that you are introducing also your children to these, you know, traditions. I feel like that is so important. And it turns, you know, ritual turns the mundane into sacred. And I feel like that is so beautiful and impactful. I wonder if you would mind transitioning into sharing your love story and meeting story with Justin, your marriage and motherhood. Yeah. um, We actually, we met, uh, gosh, we met at a party (laughs) and I will be quite honest with you. I was like, Um, my part of my recent journey is being sober from alcohol for two of the last couple of years. And, um, but prior (laughs) 20 years ago, exactly to be exact, um, I was not so sober with alcohol and, um, we met at a party, except I was kind of blacked out at the time. I had no idea I met him, but he totally remembered me. And he said, I just came in like a whirlwind, you know, just like, this force, this incredible energy at this party. And um, I remember the party. I just don't remember everybody in the party. Um, so that was interesting. And um, then we'd see, we were in actually art school together. And so I just kind of noticed him and, and we'd have similar classes and um, we'd fall asleep in the same classes, you know, <laughs> like modern art classes. Like, did you get any of that? Nope. Neither did I. Okay, great. Like same page, you know? Um, and then it became like, um, just this like kind of dating, kind of dating, hanging out. Um, and, and then it just, I don't know, we just hung out for six years and kind of dated, <laughs> dated for six years. And, and then I remember that I, you know, all through, all through school, uh, let's see, high school, 
I'll back up a little bit. I went to East Valley High School in Spokane and Spokane Valley. And it had the highest pregnancy rate actually of Spokane County in general. We would have, we were the only place at the time that had um, an in-facility daycare. So a lot of people were transferred actually in that were pregnant and we would take care and then they would get credits like people, the caregivers would get credit for child care and yada, yada. So it kind of worked out. And that was the whole goal um, was not to get pregnant. If you're going to high school, you just don't get pregnant. And that's the whole goal of the high school. That was a mentality that I grew up with. Um, but so I always in high school kind of saw like pregnancy is like this negative thing that's going to hold a woman down and you can't be like, you can't be proactive and you can't be feminine. You can't be a feminist and, 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 and have this like pregnancy at such a young age, of course, I didn't want a kid like at all in high school. I was just like anti-child, you know, I never really thought I wanted children either. I was just kind of more, I was a single child at my, with my mom. And so really independent and, and just didn't really care to have kids. I never saw that in my future. <laughs> However, coming forward into more present time with Justin and um, we ended up, we had a dog together and then we moved into a house because we had the dog and and then um I I accidentally became pregnant and were was totally not planning on that one you know because again I didn't really want a kid in that time of my life and I think I was getting my yoga certification at that time and done with the art school but just kind of floating around and not really having a direction at that point but when I did become pregnant um, it was like, okay, two months, denial, first month, second month was like, okay, this is going to happen, I think. And then told, and now like made the mistake of like announcing before the third month. And I told everyone it was so exciting. I actually accepted it. I really wanted this kid. And then I had the miscarriage at three months. And so that just broke my heart. And, um, and I didn't quite you know, I just wasn't ready for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone could be quite ready for that. And um, just kind of a a little bit of postpartum, I guess, a little depression, actually, because not postpartum, but what was that baby's birth like for you? And for me, it was it was just a lot of like bleeding and and it wasn't I mean, in my heart, I felt it was a, a female spirit. And um, oh, it, you know, I was just so kind of young and, and, um, I'm trying to think of how that felt. It just felt really kind of bad and horrible, actually, mm-hmm. you know, just like shedding that blood for a whole month and or whatever it was mm-hmm. and, and having that reminder and just feeling like I, I kind of failed as a woman, you know, like shit, I'm never going to do anything right. Like, how could I, I just failed. I, I'm never going to make a baby again. It just was like this, this like uh, weight yeah. on the shoulder of like letting all humanity down, which I surely didn't. But that's what I was thinking at the time. You know, I was like, shit, what kind of woman am I? Hmm. I can't even like give this piece to this world, you know, and, and just so I think some of that um, a lot of therapy after that, too, had it happen, like talk therapy mm-hmm. and um trying to postpartum yeah heal that wound you know and then I remember looking at Justin and saying hey 
dude, we got to have a party or something. We got to, I'm just so tired of being so sad, you know? And I can't remember how long it was post after that, but, um, and he, we're like, okay, we're kind of starving artists. <laughs> I'm like, how are we going to afford a party? I don't know. I, I'm just, hey, let's just get married. Like, then we'll have a big reception, you know, like, it'll be great party. And so it wasn't like your traditional down on one knee thing. And it was more me like suggestive, like <laughs> kind of, and he went right along with it. And we just, we planned for a whole year with our, our relatives and they were so excited and every month we'd have monthly meetings and they're so supportive. And then when it came to the place, my friend actually was getting divorced the same time I was going to get married and she offered her house. And so we came, the whole family just helped do yard work for probably a good two months prior to this whole every weekend. And it was just so sweet to have like that backing of my aunties and uncles and grandma, you know, behind me. And they just were so amazing that it just came together. I mean, we don't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of money. Obviously none of us did at that time. And yet it was just all beautifully organically came about. There's about a hundred people um, January or July 1st. So super hot, 90 degree weather. <laughs> and here I am in that like hot pink kimono <laughs> out in the heat, like with beautiful bridesmaids of all sorts of color. There wasn't one color. It was like multiple color uh, at our wedding. And it just was just a beautiful day. It was my favorite day, you know. Um, but throughout that journey, throughout the whole year, I accidentally, again, became pregnant. So when walking down the aisle, I was um, five months pregnant, which is totally fine, but that's not what I envisioned, of course. Um, but it was meant to be at that time. You know, it's just, it's just how it was, you know, um, and beautiful the way it was. Um, and our honeymoon, we did down, um, drove down to, um, through the redwood forest and, had like a little rented a cabin out on Trinity River in um, Arcata, Arcata, and it was just so beautiful. Like my, we went to a blues festival, and the first first day was good. It was okay, but you can't really. I couldn't drink at the time, and everyone's drunk, and I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm swinging, I'm dancing, not really totally into blues music, but just going with the flow. The second day, I'm like, hum, we don't need to go back. Let's just go and get some food. And so because of all of my weird dietary restrictions, then up here in Spokane, they didn't have a lot of places for gluten, dairy, seafood, free food. So down in Arcata, man, it was on. Like they were years ahead of us here. They're always, they always have, will be. And um, so I just was feasting at every little, every little restaurant I could eat in. It was like big celebratory thing. And secondhand shopping. It's just so much fun, you know, um, and just being pregnant really added that extra <laughs> need to eat. <laughs> to yes. Yes. Did you crave certain foods or drinks or? I know. I feel like, I feel like it was all sugar, 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 sugar. And that's what, and then I, I, um, we didn't get, we had a midwife. And so I never, ever got any ultrasounds or didn't know the sex of the baby, but really felt like I was really questioning myself that time. I just, but generally the sugar and the more of the sugar things, usually it's a female. That's just in my own perspective, it was for my body. So that's it. And it was a female in the end, but yeah, lots of sugar, just every 
sweet I could possibly get. It was going to be in my belly quickly. <laughs> and, um, and I really, I still love sugar and I just have to be careful with that. I've just got to really curb that. But when you're pregnant, it just, it didn't seem to matter as much. Yeah. Um, so that was, um, that was quite lovely. And then of course, let's see, so it's five months. So another um, four more months and just remembering that, um, I don't know, those days, it was my just, you know, first child, I had no idea what to expect with the pregnancy. Um, I had a midwife that started off with me, Tammy Roloff, and she was amazing, but then she had, her mom died, and she had to go help her mom on the coast, so she transferred me to Kathy Weston, and from then on, Kathy did all of, all of my children, but oh my gosh, amazing woman, that woman is just, I can't speak high, highly enough about her, um, just making me feel like she's just like another mother, and I would give her Mother's Day cards very many years after, too, on Mother's Day, um, but it was definitely interesting, like, as the birth came, um, my good friend was my doula, and she's also a, she had two other kids before, and so she kind of knew how birth looked. She also was my massage therapist for many years prior, so she knew my body, and, um, and she's a spiritual uh, worker too, so together, like, it was the midwife, the dog, and my husband, and and um, my doula, but really my doula and I could have really done anything together. It was just amazing, this powerful connection we had. Um, and I remember uh, just, it was a frosty, frosty November day, a couple days, like the day of, I had stuff to do. And I guess I was going to labor. I just had to still go to the store. I had to teach a yoga class and I just was not going to give up. It's like, you know, it's kind of screaming in the middle aisle, but it was okay. I've got to keep going. And that was me. Go, go, go. Until it really hit me at like three in the morning. I'm like, okay, I guess I've got to succumb. I got to like get, get this baby out of me. I guess this is it, you know? Um, so I remember my doula coming over and just, working with me with the breath. And I remember leaving my body, a really out of body experience of like me on the bed, like looking down from the corner of the room at myself and, and looking at myself, trying to give birth and labor, being labor and, but not being present, but looking at myself doing this. And then my deal would call me back into my body and just like, be here now. Like she called me back, kept calling me back and making me do the work because naturally I want to be up there, but you know, you really have to do the work in life. And that's so crucial. So um, I just remember just grounding down. And as this is our first birth, Justin didn't know how to blow the birthing tub up very well. So he accidentally blew all the air into the out hole and it just circulated the air in the whole room nothing happened to the tub itself so by the time everything was ready to go the midwife was there and um, we just had to use a bathtub and it was okay you know it was it was fine but um, and the dog was in the bath small bathrooms the dog the doula the father the midwife is like on the outside of the door giving direction and it was really just organic and beautiful and the, there's a little bit of water and I had never had a baby before. So I look down and I see umbilical cord attachment and I'm like, oh, it's a boy. And right then a girlfriend called and she's Gail. And she says, hi, how's it going? How's the baby? You know, 
And I'm like, oh, it's a boy. It's definitely a boy. And there's just blood everywhere. You can't really see anything. And just, I'm like delirious anyways. And, and then we, we lift the baby up and it was surely a girl. And then so I'm like, call Gail back, tell her it's a girl quickly before the news goes around it's a boy. So that was kind of like this weird scenario of the first birth, you know, not knowing what to expect. And, um, so that was my daughter, Mariko, and, and she's very much kind of a land baby. She has this real, like, fastness about her and, like, a high pace, but she's really one to, like, bounce back, and that's what Mari means, is one that bounces back, Ooh. and um, we didn't quite know that, but now she's, like, she, exp- like, kind of demonstrates it daily, you know, like, she would just um, maybe go through a little depression lately, about not being in school with her friends. And we opted out of the whole year of being in school because of COVID. They're online right now, taking public school online. And, um, you know, she's very kind of depressed because of that, but then, you know, she'll bounce right back. And she just has this amazing spirit that's still, somehow we named her that way. And it was very appropriate, you know. I love how that works out like that, you know? (laughs) Yes. And what was your postpartum like with her? Um, yeah, I think it was a little depressing, actually. Oh, man, those times were really hard and dark. I just remember um, nothing too in particular, because at that time I was not working, um, and that was nice to stay home. Actually, Justin had an amazing job that gave him the first 30 days off paternity leave. So that was awesome to have that support. And I was really blessed because I know a lot of women don't. And so um, he is my chef in general right now. And he was chefing it the whole time. And I just remember like feeding the baby, nursing the baby endlessly, and then handing him her at two, three in the morning when she just... I couldn't handle it anymore. And then he would just put her in a sling and walk her around and she'd fall right asleep. So every day that was our routine, you know, um, it was beautiful because he just would wake up and then he continued that throughout work too. So it was like a delirious blur for him too, Um, which is just beautiful that he would take that time and being our, our hard 40 hour worker plus cooking all the meals plus dealing with a kid when I'm just freaking at my wits and at early hours of the morning. And I just remember also like feeling super, um, super alone and isolated at those early hours of nursing. I thought I was the only one in the world, surely that was awake. I remember just feeling so lonely at that time, but then I actually joined the um, Mindful Mamas and, and that was really a good community to kind of just figure out, yeah, I'm not alone, actually. Give me a call at three in the morning. You know, these women would come and support me and we get together for monthly meetings or maybe walks in the park or maybe we're going to do clothing swaps. Then it was just like the funnest group of ladies that we needed each other at that time of our lives. And um, they had just amazing kind of, granola whatever subject lines like baby wearing or how 
to nurse or how latching works or how just really different acupuncture, um, yoga, you know, prenatal, postnatal yoga. And um, so it was just a sweet group of women that I still talk to some of these women today. You know, our kids are still the same ages. Um, They don't always play together, you know, but we at least we had that moment of time and it was just perfect for what it was. Yes, that community is so important, especially in those early days, for sure. I'm so glad that you found that mm-hmm. and that you had Justin up with you in the early hours of the morning. It sounds like he really tried to, tried his best to be, you know, as much of a partner as the men can be, yeah. you and carrying the babe. So that's so beautiful. I know. Yeah. I know. Oh, and, but yeah, the other, the other births, I mean, um, Mahina, my second child, she just, that was probably the hardest birth um, because she was more of the planned one. Like we only really wanted two kids. And so we knew we were going to have her. She's kind of this, this one that we really wanted and we wanted to be done after that. But um, so through her pregnancy, oh, I was the sickest I ever was. So I even got on, like, I didn't know what the hell to do. So I got on Zolfran mm-hmm. and um, I just couldn't stop all the way to the end puking, morning sickness. So it was okay. It just was super hard. Like she super took all of my energy. And plus I had a toddler and it was just, just like, huh, yeah. what am I doing? I'm pulling my hair out. Like both ends, burning your wick at both ends. And my time was like, to myself with shopping, you know, uh, grocery shopping or, or um, teaching yoga, like teaching yoga was really fun for me at the time, like anything to just get me out of the house and away from these lovely kids. But I, I mean, my, my lovely kid, there's one at the time. Um, and I just remember her birth was so hard. Like she came out with her hand like this. And so she just wanted to have her thumb or something. Aww, I don't know what yeah. was going on, but she was hurting me <laughs> drastically. And I ripped with her and didn't have to be sewn or anything, but um, it was definitely a different field out there. Um, but she, she was a water baby. So she did come into the water and actually I was, I was selling a house buying a house at the same time before having her so we had to quickly nest like that's the best nesting process ever it was like oh yeah listing and I got to the point where I like ADHD kind of like would label every like number every box and put exactly what was in it and write a huge master list and at the end I didn't even use that damn list you know <laughs> like I was like so anal about like well, I'm gonna be just it was weird um so super nasty that time and we did we bought a house we sold the house bought the house and was able to be in the house for actual birth and that was like all within this short amount of time okay. and we just it worked out perfect um and she went and I had did I have a doula nope I didn't even have a doula for her on that time I'm um, just Kathy Weston the dog still and um Justin and yeah he blew up the tub he got that all handled it was the right temperature um it just seemed to be perfect I was really kind of concerned if if Marika woke up and I was kind of like oh no what do we do and I want to scare her and, and how didn't... old was she at the time and she it was two years old okay. so yeah they're two years, three days apart, actually. <laughs> so they are my ba- Valentine's conception babies because they're November babies. <laughs> so we knew what happened during Valentine's Day, right? So um, that was, they're very close and still are very close together. And um, 
kind of similar creatures, same birth around the same birthing days. Yeah, so you and your daughters are all born in November? All in November. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. So we're all kind of that Scorpio, Sag kind of energy. And um, my poor husband, <laughs> like he, he just has to deal with a lot. But um, anyways, she was, she was just more of the mellow child. Like she really, I mean, it was still chaotic having the two and I think that's where more the depression kind of came into vault into play was when I noticed it more actually is when I had to go chase after one kid and yet nurse the other and that was just I don't know how you live through that but you just live through it you do it and you get it done um at that time too my sister oh no it was about a little bit before I think I was pregnant but my sister also was going through rehab. And so I had my nephew periodically to take care of in the daytime too with, that was before Mahina was born. So I I just remember a a little glimpse of what it would be like with two kids, but you don't really know it until you live it, right? Until it's there for you fully. So I kind of, you know, shifted my life again with that. And um, I think, yeah, at that time, it was kind of just, I think I was working at um, a cute little, um, humbled earth. It was a, a cute little organic um, grocery store. It was just a sweet little space. Maybe my whole timelines are off, but it didn't quite make as above its time. And so um, it was nice to get unemployment at that time to, to be able to just relax for a minute financially and not have to be so worried about that burden. So life really does take care of you if you just step out of the way and stop, stop worrying so much, you know. So that was neat with that pregnancy. Um, And then Justin was gonna get a vasectomy and we kept pushing the date. Like first the doctor pushed it, he had a golf tournament or something important. And so (laughs) he had to push the date and then we had to push the date for some stupid reason, I can't remember. But by that time he got the actual vasectomy two weeks after I found out I was pregnant with my third child and I didn't really want a third child, but (laughs) we got the third child. So the whole pregnancy, I was super mad and pissed off the whole time. Like "Ah, two kids, another one on the way. I'm just a little irritated right now. (laughs) Okay. It's going to be fine. But, um, so that was just a little bit, uh, but by the time, again, we had, I did get a doula, my good girlfriend, a different doula. Um, oh, Autumn, Autumn O'Brien was amazing. And we'd known each other for 20 years prior to. And so she's been practicing as a doula and wanted to honor me that. And so gifted me this beautiful experience where she exactly knew the right time to pour the water and exactly mm-hmm. knew the right phrases to just get me through. And it was just magic, the two of us. Again, this doula, this like having that other person to just help with this birthing process. And and in case the other two kids woke up and that I was just really concerned about that again, like, oh gosh, can I be quiet enough? But luckily all the kids came um, like right around seven, eight in the morning. So they're all sleeping um, and just already sleeping. And Mm-hmm. And then there's a new baby when you wake up, you know, basically. So it's all perfect timing. Um, so you labored yeah. like through the night with all yeah, the kids? Yeah, all the kids through wow. the night. Yeah, they just somehow we planned it out that way. <laughs> I don't know how, but it just worked that way for me. Yes. So it was really... Um, Were and, they long or short labors? Um, I'd say pretty 
average, I want to say probably like um, started the transition was probably like five hour, you know, it was like a long time for that, but it wasn't a long, hard time. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. all hard, maybe two hours of intense, you know, but yeah. just working up to it. It was pretty, pretty standard, nothing quick, nothing too quick, which I always thought would have been cool. Was But then I hear the other parts that are not that cool. Yeah. But I think they're just, they weren't super long and laborious. And, and again, by having that home birth, I was, just happy that I could drink broth and drink um, like a, not Gatorade, but it's like a, a an aid, some sort of like liquid stuff yes. that you have because I know the hospitals are really not for that kind of deal. So uh-huh. um, I was blessed to be able to have that coming, you know, looking and, and comparing birth stories to other women who do have to do it or choose to do it in the hospital. And every birth is different. I'm not knocking that, but for me, it would not work, have worked as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm blessed to have that option. Yeah. And when he emerged Earthside, were you in water or land? Yes. Or how yes, was that? He was. he was water as well. And just again, really mellow. And just, I remember being so happy, like, a, he was alive, he's healthy, but B, he was a boy because I was like, I love my girls, but a boy is also kind of what I, like we had his name picked out from the very beginning. <laughs> so I kind of was always like, oh, maybe it's a boy, maybe it's a boy. And then, and then really feeling this boy energy and he was so different than the girls, still is so different than the girls, but yes. very much, and he's my tourist boy. And I am um, Scorpio with Taurus moon. And so we, we tend to really bonk heads. Actually, he's really kind of hard. He's a harder one. I love him. Love him to death. He's probably hearing me this time, but, um, but yeah, there's some kind of just really beautiful bond that we have and that he's my teacher and I'm his teacher. And we probably lived many lifetimes together Mm -hmm. in which he was my teacher more so in some other aspects. So, I mean, it's just all meant to be, you know, Absolutely. And then you had three littles and what has that been like for you? Yeah. I mean, by what was I, I was like 28 at the time having three little kids was just kind of, it was a whirlwind. It was just, um, again, community support. Um, I remember going to potlucks and um, just having like 20 kids all running around, you know, crazy about us mothers being able to like connect about, oh my gosh, I'm losing my hair because of this and pulling my hair out because of that and really trying to just um, learn from each other. And we're all young moms at the time. And so it was neat to kind of hear perspectives and feel like you're not alone again and just trying to just trying to really build that community. And, and to this day, I still hang out with most of those women, you know, um, at, at some points we'd go and, and music was always, always an important thing within the community, like drum circles or hoop jams. And we drum. And I just remember this cute little picture of Justin jamming on his drum. And then Seiji was helping him out to jamming on the drum. And just always having music prevalent for the kids and always incorporating music with their lives. And if it wasn't music, it was dancing. So they also dance the Bonadori dance, whether they like it or not, they do, <laughs> they get to. And, um, and just, and they love hula hooping. Um, our favorite movement of the, now they are um, ages 14 
12 and 10. And our favorite movement is, is roller skating. And so they love to roller blade and I like to roller skate. So we agree on that as a family. And lately it's summer, I mean, it's not summer, it's now winter here. So we're doing um, cross country skiing. And today we went out and we did some um, snowshoeing together as a family. So, you know, they, we just, we still get out. We still, they'll complain until we actually do it. <laughs> and they're fine. But um, we always have like a movement, a real moving. I'm kind of a doer. I do get out and go an extrovert type person. So for my kids, um, I like to just make sure they have a way to expel their energy and then express, you know, whatever it is they they want to express and it becomes more clearer like to me if they have something going on in their heads what's going on well let's just let's talk over over movement or let's have a little movement and then talk you know mm, how beautiful and intuitive like what a wonderful practice to have with your children yeah and they don't really know that you know so they right like, oh, gosh mom <laughs> yes i know that's so beautiful though um, I know we talked about maybe you sharing about your journey of being sober for two years. Cause that's happened in like the time that we've known each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I feel like a lot of that was, um, just really hitting walls, like hitting walls to the point of just blackouts and, and, um, and not feeling good about myself and about the mother. I was trying to like be one way and telling the kids to do something positive and change the world. But yet then I'm over here drinking and not really being cognitive and not being conscious of the world. <laughs> so I was just trying to fight this duality of, you know, do I like continue on this journey of um, not my my full truth and my um something where I felt like I wasn't really resonating well with me and my body would tell me that it's just not good for me um just being a, and, and also not being particularly nice the next day um with a hung hangover you know with um being a good mom like I didn't want to be the hungover mom anymore and uh and then just blackouts would just happen and and that was so scary, like so scary to the point of not knowing if you hit somebody or something and you drove home that night. And that's just ridiculous. So I just had to not do that anymore. Um, and that really, that really struck a chord with me. Um, and then that kind of had something to do with, you know, I'm from both sides of my family are alcoholics, actually. My dad was... Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in Elanon, Elatine, Elanon, AA, NA. He was um, a believer in AA. So I, he was, um, when I was six, he went sober. And, but before that, my first memory of him actually was him and his buddy in a car drinking beers, you know, driving me. And I remember my mom was like, don't let him drink and drive. Like I'm six, like, or two, or I don't know exactly how I was, but before six. And she's like, just don't let him drink whatever you do. Okay. Like I can control that, you know, as a kid. So she put this like incredible weight on my shoulders of like being in charge, which I really wasn't and mm -hmm. feeling like, like super vulnerable and insecure because I didn't know what was going to happen if I let him drink or 
what, why, why, what? I just knew it was bad, you know? And so I remember being in the back seat and then back in those days, they had the cars that can like, their seatbelts could cross over. And if you're in the middle seat, like you could double seatbelt yourself. And I thought that that was safer. If I just doubled up, I'll be safe. And I'm going to be, mom's going to be happy, you know? And it was just like this pleasing, like this kind of feminine Japanese lineage of pleasing or just like kind of subservient type of giving and not knowing why. And um, I kind of, I kind of had those childhood issues with my father and flashbacks, but when he was, when I was six, he stopped um, drinking, which is great. But then we started going to all this AA stuff throughout my whole childhood. And, and that was fine, but it also didn't resonate with me being Buddhist when they would talk about the prayer um, the serenity prayer that involved God. And I know you can, you can also put not God, you can put your own words. It just still the whole premise didn't really settle with my heart. And, you know, to each, everyone, it's, it's different. Uh, every, so, everyone's path is different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the way I did it was just by not hanging out with some of the people that I had drink with, which is a lot of people actually. And so I really had to reshift and restructure my whole friendships and keep those closer to me that I knew were not going to be drinking around me at the time. I just couldn't drink, be around drinking. Um, also, I joined what's called Dharma Recovery by Julia Hayes at Soul Center. And that has gotten me, and I still go to my meetings to this day, and that has gotten me through. And um, being part of a sangha, which is the community that also comes into play, um, has helped me just get over, over feeling guilty, feeling less than all these feelings of shame and blame mm -hmm. and um, all these feelings of being isolated and alone, even the times of isolation right now, um, that I'm not alone, that what I have to add is very valid. And what I have to hear helps me hear their stories, you know, hearing, um, doing a goddess pause, having a pause to be able to hear things, hearing your own thoughts first before saying them, you know, and that just floors me every time because I'm a talker, obviously. <laughs> um, so sometimes I need to like, it's nice to just reflect and step back and then think about what I say prior to what saying, you know, saying it. Um, so that's been a new, a new thing for me is just building a different relationship with myself and, and getting to know myself soberly and that I am still the Ico, the child of love, the lovely child. I'm still playful and like charming and strict mother when I have to be in type A and type B and, you know, I'm all these things that I always was, but now it could be like more authentic, you know, mm -hmm. from the heart mm -hmm. and, and more yeah. connection. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm just so happy to be here today. And I blame a lot of that on being sober. I don't know where I would have been if I had not been that way. Um, it's just been a blessing to even, I know, come around and, and, um, and share that with you, like more of my sober self and stuff. And I think that's why, you know, we get along so well too, is that you've always been open to even not my sober self and, and then to my sober self. And just, that's why I love your open heart too. Mm -hmm.
Thank mm. you. Yes, we are also Scorpio bonded. Mm. Uh, um, would you like to share? I know that during COVID and these last like nine, 10 months, you were laid off from your job and now you have a new job and sort of this, it's created maybe some space in your life where you have taken some time to do some inner work and journeys. And I wonder if you might share about some of that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so let's see, it was May 1st. I was, uh, I'd work for Riverview, which is a skilled nursing facility as an occupational therapist assistant for the last two and a half years. And I loved it. It was amazing team. I love my team leader. There's 17 of us therapists and we had each other's back. I mean, we were really united. We might fight like sister and brother, but we just, we had each other's back and that's all that mattered because you can deal with any kind of patient if you guys support each other, right? So that was really lovely, but unfortunately the higher ups um, kind of had other ideas about finances and decided to actually close the whole skilled facility down, this care center down, which is a small part of, um, it's probably like, it's probably like a fifth of what they they mark they have there. So there's independent living, there's assisted living, there's kind of higher up assisted living, and um, and that's about it. But so it's like a, a quarter of their facility was closed down, and I happen to be part of that. So um, that was a bummer. I just kind of at first felt like kind of less than like shit, like. <laughs> damn it, I, I don't know what to do now. I'm a, just another number because everyone else in America is being laid off because of COVID now too. And fuck, I didn't want to be like everyone else. I just, I wanted to be different or keep my job or fucking just keep doing it, right? Like didn't want to change. I saw it coming, but kind of didn't want to believe it. So I was in a little denial for a minute. And um, then on June 1st, I get a call and um, it's, my ex-stepsister so it's my sister's sister and she so I have a half sister and she's six years younger her name's Anate was Anela and I get a call from her sister that said you know come on over uh she just died and you should come say goodbye if you want and I'm like whoa what the hell immediate tears panic the whole nine yards, right? So I'm rushing over to her house and she's only like 10 minutes away from a house. We're really, I'm the closest sibling to her as far as distance goes. And really, I felt like I was the only one that really understood her, mm -hmm. though she really did not like me because I saw through as an addict myself, being an addict to alcohol, um, I saw through her, a lot of her lies, a lot of her facades a lot of her because I'd play that game I've done it all I've seen this game my dad taught me this game you know like I've been through so many AA things I've been through rehab like it just it, I understand this and so I get I got her I just understood her the most out of all the siblings um and so I was I just remember going there and not really knowing what the heck was going on but the um the cops in the border there and then the relatives like her siblings were there and her mom and her in-laws and her husband and we're just all crying it was just this big horrible darkness 
And I remember they gave us the time. I guess what happened was she overdosed on all these pills. They, they cops took like two big bags of pills out of the room as evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no other foul play. It was just simply a suicide type of a deal um, or a mis uh, overdose type situation. Um, I know she struggled highly with depression throughout her whole years. And she actually got diagnosed as bipolar and um, bipolar one, I believe. Um, so it was, and other, other diagnoses like OCD and ADHD, adult ADHD. Um, she also had adult fetal alcohol syndrome. So that in itself might've started in pre-birth, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, these like addictions that we don't know exist, exist. And um, she just had a hard life. She was given not a very fair um, palette to deal with and color her life with because both her parents, because it was our father, similar, um, but he abandoned both of us really in our childhood. He was the one that was gone all the time in California and just a check in the mail, which is great because that's better than nothing, but um, that's not exactly what we needed as, as young women growing up. Um, and so she had it from dad's side, but also her mom was basically trapped, trapped her, trapped my dad in a marriage for a couple years saying, oh, well, I'm pregnant. Now you have to stay with me. Um, and then they finally got divorced when she's two. And that then mom would go off and uh, look for a man. And she would go off and drink and be in the bars. And mom would was a nurse and she had maybe some pill addictions with that drugs or alcohol and just I didn't think too highly of her my whole life and um it just I really feel bad for my sister to have to grow up in that and then as a result her siblings had to raise her I was merely a, a weekend um vacation sister sort of speak and then her other siblings two um older sisters and an older brother had to really raise her but the older brother he um, was also looking for a figure in his life and joined a gang and then shot someone and got tried as an adult as a 17 year old child tried as an adult for life and he went to jail for 25 years and just got out recently but that was my sister's father figure that she looked up to because he was there her whole growing up and then suddenly not there and so it was just like she had so much horrid things that happened to her. And I know people can get over that if they go through counseling, they work the program. And, but she really had it unfair in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she just, she had a baby at 18 with a 15 year old boy at the time, um, single mom. She tried to go to school. She got her cosmetology degree. Um, she failed out of every class or every school she'd get kicked out of as a grade school, a high school, she got her GED, dropped out, had the baby, then went back to school, got her cosmetology, only used that a few years. But um, she, when, before she died, she was getting back into school. And then she wanted to be a nurse, like her mom. And she actually got straight A's. And I'm like, whoa, dude, like, where did you come from? Chemistry kicked my ass. I don't know about you, girl, but like, where, who are you? 
So she actually got her shit together so much that she'd get all these straight A's and all these prereqs, you know, but she never actually got into the program, but she was on her way, you know, she had all this potential. Um, so it was just been a really uh, grieving period of myself with her. And I never thought I could grieve so much. And then I thought I was done grieving. And the way I've been dealing with the grief is getting into nature, hiking and kayaking and hiking and kayaking all summer um, and getting out into nature, just being one with the mother and, and really trying to ground down and know that my sister, there's this last place we went together that we got along was Glen Rose. Actually, we, we've gone there, right? And yes. Glen Rose hike and, um, and I feel the most closest to her there, actually. And so when I really want to find her and sense her, it's, it's going to be there, you know, and so many days at Glen Rose. Um, and then just recently, um, it was her, like going through the whole year, the first, right, the, the first New Year's, the first Christmas and all the holidays. Well, finally, we reached up to her first birthday. And it was January 24th. And um, two days prior, I had a meeting with a girlfriend, Sindel uh, Wallace, actually, amazing hypnotist. And uh, she took me down and sunk me down deep into a real relaxed state of which I was actually able to speak to my sister's spirits. And it wasn't like you and I are talking. It was more like this knowing, sensing kind of like, imagery, mm -hmm. visualizations. And so we had um, a beautiful moment where um, her daughter had been crying more recently. Her, her daughter's only nine years old and um, was crying more than not lately at right at bedtime. And I just, I knew that my sister probably because she's hanging on because she's still here, her spirit, I can sense her spirit here. So I said to her, you know, why are, can you please let go of your daughter a little bit more? I know you love her. I know you want the best for her. Can you trust that we're here to gift her that and we're going to hold her and support her? Well, my sister said, because I never felt supported in this world, in this life, I don't know what's going to be there on the other end. I don't know if I'll be supported. And I don't want my daughter not to feel supported. And I just had to reassure her, you know, that, we are here to support your daughter. We're here, the siblings, we're, we're taking care of your daughter. Your ex is getting sober and he's getting, he has a job now and he's going to get her back and he's going to be a great father because he's a good father. He just was a bad husband with her. Um, so and because of, um, I just had this imagery um, and I remembered that our mutual auntie and our mutual grandma is also up in heaven, if you will, that's what she believes. And so, and her grandfather was up in heaven too. And I uh, had this imagery of holding hands with my auntie. So we're holding hands here and grandma and her grandpa were holding hands there. And I just had this imagery of her, my sister reclining on all of us laying here. Mm. So we're fully supporting her. And um, it was just this beautiful, like, Ah, we love you. We want you to feel supported. We're here for you. And that kind of settled that for a moment. But then this other like reassurance came through where it was almost kind of like a DNA strand. And a little backstory is that um, her grandpa was not so nice to the kids. Um, he abused the kids. 
So he abused her, her mom and her aunties and uncles. And then similar for my, our grandma, our grandma actually abused my dad a lot too. And so um, because of that, they weren't able to give my sister what she needed. And so I said, you know, it's like visualizing, okay, this is like two images of the grandparents up here. May the grandparents have gotten the love from their parents and their loved ones to pass on to the other two parents, to pass on to you, to pass that you would have passed on to your kids, that your kids will pass on. And there's that like change they will have, they will be wonderful to their generation, whoever, whatever they choose, a dog doesn't have to be a kid, you know, another, you know, life. And, um, and I just reassured her with this like visualization pattern. It was just, it's beautiful. And the last one was this last imagery was we were just sitting there. My sister and I were knee to knee cross-legged looking at each other's eyes and she's six years younger. So I've always kind of been this like older sister, <clears throat> but now we're like on the same level and there is this veil between us. And I just remember like our arms were like, our hands were going like this together as we were just totally connected with the eyes. And that just really showed to me like that I am here to be on your level. I see where you are. I love you where you are. And it is okay where you are, but please just trust you can give up a little bit more of that bond to your daughter and then move on to this other world that you don't know yet. So that was super powerful. Um, the next day, two days later was her birthday. We um, did those big lanterns, you know, I had one of those big, huge lanterns that you light and they fly up. And I had all the kids and her daughter and my kids sign it and wish her happy birthday and like write her poems and draw her pictures on this lantern. And we went to uh, Sanders Beach in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And we let, the, we, we've never done this lantern thing before, actually. So I was like, oh, I've got tea lights. I don't know how exactly this works. Whatever, you know, I guess you light it and it just has its own internal thing. And then it's a um, big percentage is biodegradable because that's super important, right, to me. And so we lit it, but I didn't realize that someone tore a hole in it accidentally throughout all this passing over. So it like went up. It went over for 20 feet and then it went into the water. <laughs> We're like, oh, shoot, crap. But it was just so beautiful. It was so beautiful because it was so her. It was her being here for a while, over, and just this magnificence. And then a little bit of the truth, you know, just a little bit of flowing on, going on. And um, it just was so beautiful for the kids to see that the reality. I mean, we had all these visions of it flying off in the sunset and just making this beautiful. No, it just was what it was. And, and we can't protect our kids from that, the truth, you know, and it was Absolutely. so raw and so beautiful. How so that potent, was, how yeah, potent and healing was, and real these oh. rituals are that you have done and processing grief. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just all, it's hard. It's a lot of shadow, dark, dark work, but it's so rewarding to just get, even to find what it is you're trying to say and dig deep in the words that, you know, are within you. And once they come, they just flow and letting it go and letting it flow and speaking that truth, you know? Yeah. Hmm. So. 
this feel like a place that we could transition into speaking about goddess gatherings and rituals that we hold there and one coming up for you? Uh, yeah, let's do that. So um, I am, le- so this is probably my third time, second time leading. Um, so we are involved in what's called the full moon goddess gathering. And it has about 300 women in the forum on Facebook page. And then about 60 women that usually got together every, used to be every month, actually around the full moon um, at our beautiful friend's house. She has a three-story farmhouse out in uh, Airway Heights. And it's just ideal setting. The sunsets are magnificent. The energy is just magnificent. Um, But because of COVID, we have to like transition to Zoom method. So I actually led the first um, <laughs> the first goddess gathering on Zoom and it was okay. It just, I didn't know what to exactly do and it was, it was fine um, and people were good receptors, probably like a handful of people, you know, but fine, it worked out. Um, and this time though, um, so then we kind of took a break for about six, eight months, nine months or so. And now our friend Julia, it's okay, uh, was, uh, did another gathering last month and finally did a Zoom gathering and it was a great turnout. Um, and it was just a good way to catch up and communicate and like feel supported. And these, and these gatherings usually revolve around um, also kind of where we are in the calendar year. So it could be uh, solstice or or winter solstice uh, equinox time. It could be um, a lot of it ties into, but not always, um, the pagan traditions and uh, Christian tradition and Jewish tradition, Buddhist traditions. I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is. We're acceptant upon all religions. And so um, it's a really open space, I feel, for a lot of women that just lack that community, lack that ritual, spiritualism um, on daily type things. And so we come together and we just try to really um, celebrate each other, but celebrate also the seasons and celebrate traditions that might occur in some cultures that we don't know of, you know, and just share and communicate. So um, my particular ritual is around, um, it's next Saturday on the 27th of February, and it's called the snow moon. And um, and at first, you know, the snow moon sounds fun and all, but really it talks about more of the Northern American culture, native culture, um, and about the scarcity of what the, they also call it the hunger moon. Because mm-hmm. if you look outside, I mean, it's all vacant. Um, there's just snow. There's not a lot of greens anywhere, actually. There's snow right now here. And there's not a lot of harvest. There's not a lot to forage. There's not much out there. There's animals if you're lucky, but like, you know, if you're just gonna have no stores and you go back to nature right now and you look outside about what's what's gonna be edible, it's not a whole lot. So um, it's about scarcity. It's about kind of finding the balance. Um, now, now the balance is also um, our friend Julia made up a goddess. And the pronunciation is kind of funny. Um, 
let me see here. I am getting this pronunciation down. So it's B O L W E D. Bold, bold, bold. I know she has a really special way of saying it, but that goddess she made up completely, however, talks about the inner balance within us all that we strive to find this balance between dark and light, the dualities of life, right? Yin, yang, whatever your thing is, good, bad. I mean, just these opposites, right? So she really talked about balance and, and she already pre-made this up before I even had an idea of what I was doing for my part of the ritual. So it's encompassing her goddess into what the moon is and also what I want to portray. Um, and I wrote it out and it's going through the final draft period and stuff, but basically it is going to be where um, we kind of like the Catholic tradition Lent, you know, I'm not sure if you all are familiar with that, but um, as a Buddhist, we don't do that, of course. So um, it's like that where you give something up and, and, um, I might be wrong on this, but it, for me, it's like, can you give something up or can you also bring something in and one or the other or both, you know, mm -hmm. that would be ideal. It's like, okay, can you give something up that doesn't serve you and what would serve you? Like bring something in that would serve you. So that might look like, gee, I'm really having a struggle myself with um, sugar, white sugar, cane sugar. So I'm going to give that up for three days before the gathering. And then I'm going to probably incorporate more meditation, you know, more time, quiet time, prayer, whatever that is for that person. Um, it could be, um, I'm going to feast from, I'm going to get off social media for three days and I'm going to bring in more family time you know, whatever it is, like these kind of dualities that are what you give up something. So what do you have room for? Or, you know, that yin and yang, again, that balance, yeah. the goddess of balance. And so we're really trying to, I'm trying to also incorporate more art and more um, creativity. So there's a piece where I would like people to have, like the first day they do this giving up part, they're going to put like, say it's sugar, right? someone's sugar. So they're going to dump some sugar into a container and put some water in the sugar, like half of the container is full of water, put it in the freezer for three days. And just like, and then on the day of the gathering, bring it out of the freezer and look at that melting. Look at that transformation. What, how did it, how did you feel during those three days? Were you cranky? Were you mad? Were you glad? Were you, what emotions fed into that container? What emotions fed into your container of life, your own body? So I'm trying to really pair it with like container representational of you. And then say it's like mass media. I don't know. Maybe that would look like a like a picture of the Facebook icon, you know, and you're going to draw it on a piece of paper, rip it up and put it in water and put it in the freezer. So all these endless things. However, my caveat of the whole thing is that, of course, I don't want to harm anybody. So I want to make sure that people are not just giving alcohol up. If you're truly an alcoholic, you can't just cold turkey. It's just not going to, we don't want you to die. So it's like, ask your doctor first before giving up any meds or alcohol, please, because I don't want to be held for that. And I'm already, I know HIPAA and all shit. So 
Anyhow, that was my whole caveat. I was like, okay, just don't die. <laughs> that's the problem I don't want. But the idea is, that's kind of the idea and the premise here. And I feel like if we could just kind of unlayer that from ourselves and be conscious of whatever it is that we strive to might have an addiction, but we don't have to call it an addiction. We can just simply say an abundance or an over doesn't really serve us right at this moment. And so that's kind of the premise of my new ritual coming up here. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, would you share about, I know both of us have stepped into being mamapreneurs and would you share with us about your new adventure there? Thank you. Yes. I love that word too. It just, it just totally resonated with me. I loved when you said it the first time. Um, so our mamapreneurship, <laughs> um, so throughout, I mean, I've kind of known that I wanted to go off on my own and, and formulate a business. And I, I currently have it under a different label, but I finally came to the point of rebranding, I guess, what it would be. And so I want to call it the overhead is going to be ele- elemental connections. And um, my love and my passions arise and uh, kind of that four elements, you know, like, um, photography. So it would be fireside photography as this kind of fire, this pitta, this like luxurious way of creating and and showing the world this beauty I see within everybody, within everything, even within the misery, even within the homelessness. There is an element of beauty, even within death. There's this like really just fascinating beauty of, um, of life, I mean, of, of celebration, of, of just even misery. There's got to be that, that duality of life. So um, fireside photography is my photography line. And um, I'm also a lover of yoga still. I do private yoga um, and in-house yoga or Zoom yoga. And that really is more of that um, yin yoga and restorative yoga. I mean, I could do fast paced flow up and down, up and down. It's fine. I really appreciate for my own self um, doing more of that yin, slower, restorative, longer holds. You get more opening in the fascia tissue and these longer kind of hold type of yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, You specialize in pregnancy yoga as well? I do. I specialize in prenatal yoga um, and I've done that for um, probably the last 15 years, actually. So I love, I love, love, love prenatal as one of my favorite, favorite types of yoga. And, um, what an honor and a joy, because it's the only way I come close to being pregnant without actually being <laughs> pregnant. I love it. I can be like, okay, hour here, I'll be pregnant with y'all for a minute and kind of remember what it's sort of like, and then you can go home <laughs> You could be pregnant. (laughs) But no, I mean, a lot of friendships have formulated from that too after. It's like, wow, look at the babies that I helped bring into this world, sort of speak. Like, you know, the mom and dad did the most of the work, but like that fluidity, that joint movement, that mobility, and um, just being able to see. And what has been an honor has been to uh, have one of my prenatal students um, come and take and do her baby pictures. You know, it's like, oh, oh my God, it's like before, after, like, and I was totally taking pictures of her doing yoga poses while she's pregnant. She yeah. hated it. 
that she like she would tolerate me doing that and then she now then and then the after you know like really watching before after um and i you know i want to follow them throughout which would be lovely but um and what an honor i just did a cute little couple the other day and they're brand new love together and man i felt like a voyeur because gosh i just saw this spark and this love and i'm like should i be paying for this because you guys are amazing you're getting like i am loving your love i'm loving to see they've got they're fully clothed of course they're outside in the cold they're dancing together and just the joy intoxicating yes i'm like i'm just so honored so that was really fun and really really cool to like oh be a part of that and honor us so fucking amazing so um and then that's another element. Um, and so that was called uh, earth, earthbound yoga. So we've got the fire, we've got the earth. And then um, I want to do outdoor open air, open air adventures. And so that's, it's a work in progress with that one. But yeah, that one's going to be like couples date, small groups. Um, we're going to go out in nature. We're going to go on a hike. We're going to maybe learn a little bit of the natural maybe forge some stuff even you know learn about herbs learn about you know how to uh survive a bear attack maybe hopefully not actually use it but you know these little outdoor things that might happen on adventures outside mm-hmm. and um or kayak so i'd be doing kayaks but super simple beginner no river uh like kayaking <laughs> you know <laughs> just going for a kayak having a lunch, having, you know, watching the sun go down, getting some great pictures while you're doing this and having an experience and having these pictures to go with you with this experience. So maybe we'll incorporate some yoga and do paddleboard yoga. Maybe we'll do some um, on the shore yoga. I don't care. Like it's whatever, like that person people feel is right for them. Um, snowshoe, we can just go out and snowshoe. So it's a year round event. It's like, how could we connect with nature more? How can we be in the air and breathe the fresh air? Because it's out there. Um, We just have to go to it. And so I feel like a lot of this COVID is like being trapped and isolated in these little boxes full of tiki-taki. And, um, you know, like not being out in nature, not having that connection of getting all those good bacteria. And yes, it's a very alive thing and I get it. It's, it's a very real thing for some people. It's a fearful thing for some people. But can you, can you, if you're a healthy person, can you go out and can you trust that nature is there to provide for you just for a little mm-hmm. bit of time? You know, it's not like we're camping out. We're not going to do anything like that excessive, but um, it's just kind of a day trip and like getting your mind off of what the screen says and what the media says and coming over here and um, just learning to love that nature learning to love the rain and the snow and the elements and and being one and being okay when the day is going to go to shit and it was supposed to be a sunny day and that's a rainy day you know like being okay with life and all the adventures that come with it and and can you embrace that and how do you react to that mm-hmm. so that's kind of my vision of like that's the um, third element. My last element is um, really one that I hold close to my heart is uh, called aquatic touch. And so that is uh, lymphatic drainage, actually. And that name just oh, 
it's just so inspiring. It came to me today. Actually, that was the last name. I'm like, I'm the worst at naming things. I'm just, I just, it's just a bad thing to me. But anyhow, aquatic touch. And so what I do is um, I am a manual therapist and I do lymphatic drainage, which is just like lymph is under that first layer of skin all over your body. It's in your eyes, it's in your head, everywhere. And lymph holds all your toxins of your body, not all of them, but it holds a good majority of your toxins, macrophages, hormones, everything that's kind of excessive, right? So if you accidentally break your arm, you might have obviously some really swelling lymphatic um, residual edema, and that's okay for a while. That's that protection mechanism, that first initial fight or flight, that kind of, it needs to happen to just immediately swell and, and that's great. But when it hangs out for a longer amount of time than necessary, that's when you might become susceptible to lymphedema or, um, or maybe you have blocked, you know, blocked valves of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so lymphatic- That's where aquatic touch would help with those things. Exactly, exactly. It's a really, real superficial, uh, massage that I do that helps drain that. Now, again, if you have certain things like active cancers, maybe you're pregnant, maybe you have a heart issue, you probably should not do all these lymphatic drainages. I would highly advise against it. You probably want to get a doctor note first um, because it can't, it's that powerful. It helps flow things through and it starts at the supraclavicular, which is right above your clavicular area. And then it goes down into your pericardium, around the pericardium. And that's that super heart space that it will affect if you have any pacemakers. It's going to really take on and maybe set that off and, and could possibly kill the person. So it's not like I want to kill anybody again, but uh, it's, that's another precautionary thing. So it's just, it's a powerful method um, used for certain people. Uh, you do, do go through like a detox type of situation. You don't feel good for at least 24 hours, but again, that's getting all those, those, those toxins out of you. Um, just drinking water, being mindful, taking it easy that day. Um, it's just all part of the self-care that I'm trying to promote to people. Yes. For the people that are connecting with your offerings and would like to get in contact with you, how would they best do that? Um, yeah, currently probably just uh, through like Facebook. So mm -hmm. you can put, name. you can, I can put your link on the yeah. show notes and things like that. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Just contact me there. And, um, I don't, I have a website, but it's, it's under remodeling right now. We're resurfacing everything. So I don't quite have that up to par right at this moment, but yeah, through Facebook, just get a hold of me there. Messenger, um, really open to that type of communication right now. Wonderful. Yeah. Is there anything else that is stirring in your soul that you feel like you'd like to share before we close? <sighs> Um, I just feel that, you know, people, people need to just realize that they are beautiful, that they are love, that they are pure, beautiful, endless amounts of love. And that if I can leave you with anything, it's just to know that you are important. You are needed in this world. And to keep on keeping on, even if you think no one's watching, and even if you think you're all alone in this world, you're really not. Even if you think 
there is no one else that could under possibly understand you and you shouldn't be here in this world. Um, you should be here in this world and thank you for being here in this world. Um, there is a purpose and a greater purpose for everyone here. Um, and I just want people to know that they are loved even from afar, even from sources that are beyond their own comprehension, that there is mm. deeper compassion of ancestral love coming through. Yes, what a powerful message to end on. Thank you so much for sharing your soul stories with us today. And thank you. Thank you. Mm. It's so lovely. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you found value in today's stories, I would love for you to share them with someone you know. Write a review on iTunes or make a comment on YouTube. I am an in-person and online birth mentor, postpartum doula, and mothering mentor. I love providing sistership support to women along their journey of mating into motherhood. Pregnancy, birth, and motherhood are always transformational experiences, unique to each woman and baby. I believe this transition provides a natural unearthing of every woman's inner creatress. My passion is to nurture women through caring conversations, rituals, and individualized mentorship so that they can enter motherhood feeling confident, inspired, and in tune with their needs as well as the needs of their baby. I provide unique, individualized grief support for mothers that have, like myself, experienced the death of their wombling or baby. I believe there is more that unites us than divides us. Birth and death are always a part of our human experience. My hope is for these soulful, heartfelt stories to remind you what it means to be wild, human, and alive, so that you may cherish your unique journey of human and that you may find the courage to share your voice and express the words you feel deep in your heart and soul. Be brave, be bold, be loved, be you.